Welcome to Beyond the Badge Unfiltered. I'm your host, Jeremy Allman, a former law enforcement officer and military veteran. I've had around 13 years in law enforcement here in Washington State. I also spent six years in the Washington Army National Guard. I was an infantryman. One deployment to Iraq back in 2008, and then before that, 2007, uh, Operation Cobra Gold, a training mission over in Thailand. So we're going to be talking about not just law enforcement uh, or first responder related news, uh, but also politics a little bit, a little bit of politics and some business um, with most of it a priority focus uh, in Washington state. We will talk about some national things, but I really wanted to give a perspective from someone who has worked in law enforcement in Washington state and with the state of affairs here in Washington in my perspective, uh, some of the police-related reform bills and things of that nature, I um, want to get people on here to discuss all that and just have conversations and just be uh, keep an open mind about everything, but also get people's different takes on um, the different things going on here in Washington specifically. So with that, I'm also going to be bringing on people that I have met in my life and who are dear friends of mine and also people that I've met along the way in law enforcement to kind of give their perspective so it's not just all coming from one maybe you know biased position I, I want to really hear from different perspectives on what people think about the things that we're bringing up here on the podcast so you're going to see a number of them talk and let me know if you want to have them on again to talk about a different subject or uh, whatever it may be. I want to jump into today's sponsor. Yes, season one, episode one already has a sponsor, and it's from someone I know very well, and that would be my sister. She owns Christine's Custom Cleans. She's been in business for well over a year now, I think going on in two years or so. She's been doing extremely well this past year, saw her business explode in ways that she didn't think uh, were going to happen. So I'm very excited for her and what she's doing. She did come from a background of maid service work. So she brought that training experience over when she opened up her business. She does everything from business offices, residential homes, uh, real estate. So she'll prep the listing uh, before it goes out, you know, hits the market. Uh, Airbnb listings, um, you name it, her and her team can do it. So go ahead and reach out to her. Um, the one thing I will say is, uh, and I can say this because I'm her brother, it's whatever. Uh, I'm going to help her with her social media game a little bit. So if you look for her, you know, she's got stuff out there and it's a little outdated, just a little bit. But uh, like I said, we're going to work on that. But I can assure you she is busy every single day. She rarely gets time off. So check it out, christinescustomcleans.com. You can find her also under that same business name on Facebook. Her phone number is 360-827-1429. Go ahead and give her a call, shoot her a text. There's also a contact form on the website, which goes directly to her. So however you want to reach out to her, go ahead and do that. She'll come by, do a free quote even, uh, you name it. So go ahead and check it out. So again, we're going to be talking a lot about local criminal justice-related things going on you know first responder stuff locally and nationally and that's just going to be for this past week uh, 
Now, I could do a podcast probably every single day about all the different shooting, stabbings, uh, major felony cases just in King County alone. <laughs> um, but I don't have the time or the inclination to focus on King County. Uh, but you could practically do that. There's so much news uh, involving crime that's coming out just out of King and Pierce County alone. But I kind of wanted to expand on not just what's going on in that area particularly, but you know, rural areas uh, in eastern Washington too. There's so much that's going on in Washington that I think we should kind of bring attention to and talk about. One of the big things I wanted to talk about today was what's going on over at Green Hill School. For those of you who don't know, Green Hill School is the state's male juvenile maximum security institution. It's in Chehalis. It's right off Interstate 5, exit 76 on the east side. That's what that big facility over there is. What happened was, well, at least what brought major focus to Green Hill School in the last six months or so, was that there was a tipster who contacted JNET, which is Lewis County's Drug Task Force. It's a Joint Narcotics Enforcement Team. They had word that there was a ton of, I wouldn't say unaccounted for, they accounted for it within Green Hill, but there was no notification to law enforcement that that evidence was being held there. Why is that a problem? Well, the problem is, is that every piece of contraband, whether that's fentanyl, marijuana, whatever, those are all crimes. Those are narcotics. If we're talking about just narcotics alone, we're not talking about any weapons or anything else. Narcotics alone, that's introduction of contraband into a facility. These are all crimes. Why is that a big deal? Well, because they're all crimes. These are all pieces of evidence. This is fentanyl. This is you name it, that's being smuggled in either by families when they come to do visitation, they're getting screened and it's not being found, or it's being brought in by employees. That's just, that's how that stuff gets in there. That's how that gets into any correctional facility. Now, I'm not saying that all the staff that work at Green Hill are bringing in contraband. That's not what I'm saying. However, it's getting in there somehow. So there's at least one person that's working there that's either bringing it in or not doing their job and not catching it as it comes in during visitation. That's just what's going on. Now, why am I shitting on Green Hill right now? Well, I used to work there years and years and years ago, actually before I went to uh, Army basic training. Now, I'll touch on the staff assaults that happened there that don't get reported. Uh, we can talk about that a little bit later, but it, it's amazing to me how the governor, and I don't want to get into politics really, but I read his response and I'm just scratching my head like, you have no idea what's going on. You're defending an institution of yours that has dropped the ball so many freaking times that it's gotten to the point now where for the first time that I had ever known in law enforcement, at least in my career, and to the Centralia Police Chief's career, Stacey Denham, that a drug task force, a local drug task force, we're not talking about a federal team or state team, a county drug task force had to 
apply for and was granted a search warrant to search for contraband at a state-run facility. It's amazing to me. It blows my mind. So before they went and applied for the search warrant, which was ultimately granted, there was a letter that was sent by the Sanchai and Chehalis police chiefs and the mayors, respectively. That was sent to Governor Inslee's office. Now, in that letter, they had informed the governor's office that they wanted the governor's office to launch an investigation into what the leaders had described as compromised employees, security lapses, and many other failures at the institution. What happened was, apparently, that request in the letter was not taken well, or however you want to describe it. Nothing was done, basically. They had asked that an investigation be opened by the state attorney general's office, and it was declined. So it was at that point that the detectives applied for the search warrant in the Lewis County Superior Court, and it was granted. And then that's when you had JNET, along with the police chiefs, uh, go over and serve the search warrant. So what did they find? Well, let's talk about what they found. <laughs> they gathered 114 bags of contraband evidence. 114 bags of items that were not supposed to be there, that were supposed to have been handed over to law enforcement. Why is that important? Well, Greenhill staff finds contraband. Let's say they find a bag of pills, right? Security staff finds pills. They put it in a temporary, well, this is what they're supposed to do, supposed to put it in a temporary holding facility, a temporary holding room, whatever they wanted to come up with, right? Something that they could show chain of custody. Chain of custody being the path that that item took from, you know, one person's hands to another and where it was stored for how long, who had access to it. Supposed to have gone into a temporary holding area with the proper documentation, properly bagged so they can show that no one had tampered with it. And then from there, staff should be contacting Chehalis PD because the Green Hill facility falls within the jurisdiction of the area of Chehalis PD. Or at the very least, Washington State Patrol because it's a state-run facility. Either way, it seems like Washington State Patrol or Chehalis PD were never contacted for what appears to be 114 bags of you name it. Uh, cell phones, vape pens, gummies, heroin, marijuana, blue fentanyl pills, the list goes on, apparently. So each of those items in and itself is a crime, depending on the type of contraband it is. If it was a weapon, then the argument can be made that it would be a introduction or introducing contraband in the first degree, which is you're talking about, you know, uh, weapons. Uh, otherwise... Uh, they're misdemeanors for the most part, but that's up for a prosecutor to decide. At any rate, they still fall under the RCW for introducing contraband. So theoretically, the contact would be made to law enforcement. Law enforcement would come over, take possession of the evidence, conduct any interviews that may be necessary, you know, how they came about to getting these types of evidence in their possession. And then forwarding that on to 
the appropriate prosecutor to make a charging decision. That's how it's supposed to be. That doesn't matter whether it's in the Greenhill School or anywhere else. That's what chain of custody is supposed to look like. But that did not apparently happen here. Now, according to a report, uh, it was in August of 2023 is when the when uh, JNet had served the search warrant and gathered all this evidence. There were 12 lockers in a laundry room, which contained what I just talked about. We're talking marijuana, uh, apparently blue fentanyl pills, um, notes with uh, referencing drug contacts, uh, cell phones, the, the heroin gummies, vape pens, all that stuff. Now, apparently the lockers were padlocked, but there was another area where all these items were also stored in desk drawers and in bags on the floor. I've been an evidence custodian before. Uh, that's not how you secure your evidence, is just with bags on the floor and in desk drawers. Now, that's if the access to the room that the desk drawers are in or the bags on the floor was secured, but that's not really... I can't really make that out in the information that I was reading. Because at that point, I mean, if if you have a secure room, you can put those items, you know, in certain areas. But usually in that secure room, if you're if you have narcotics, those are separately keyed and, and all that. Uh, it just depends on the policy. But the way the information reads from the JNET uh, report and uh, what was reported on, it looks sloppy. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because all this contraband wasn't even supposed to be there in the first place for that amount of time. So that's just the end of it. 62 cases is what they narrowed it down to that JNet's working on, but uh, we'll see what happens with that. Now, in response to the fallout from the execution of the search warrant and the findings, the, <laughs> Governor Inslee had told King 5 that he was confident that going forward it was going to be taken care of, meaning the way that contraband is processed. Well, I guess we'll wait and see, you know, if that's the case. But uh, someone, a spokesperson for the DCYF, had said that the police had been providing, quote, inaccurate or incomplete, unquote, information, and that Greenhill and its staff are the ones who initiate many of the drug investigations. Well, no shit. They're the ones that come across the contraband. That's not the problem. The problem is, is the chain of custody and the reporting to law enforcement because it's not their job. Yes, they initiate the drug investigation. They find the blue fentanyl pills. They find the marijuana. They find whatever. It gets taken to a laundry room, put in a bag on the floor or a desk drawer, whatever is going on there at the time. And then it just sits there, and in some cases since 2017. So the spokesperson is half right. They do initiate the drug investigations. They have that correct. It's the follow-up. It's the rest of the investigation that you're supposed to do. It's the chain of custody that you're supposed to be following. It's how you secure the evidence. It's how you... What did you do to investigate that? Were there witness statements that were taken were their interviews conducted you know what else is going on just finding the contraband isn't the drug investigation that starts the investigation because now you've found it you've 
got the evidence for a crime, now you need to put the case together. But you, meaning a state employee who's working at this facility, cannot do a law enforcement investigation. That's that's the issue here. So anyway, Chief Denham was quoted as saying, nothing has been corrected, which is incredibly frustrating. I agree. Uh, he talks about they have an x-ray scanner and a body scanner there as you come in. It's something that you would see at uh, the airport or whatever. Uh, Chief Denham was quoted as, well, not quoted, but he talks about, uh, he watched employees set down large cups of coffee on a counter and then walk through the scanning devices. They came back to retrieve their cups. So he talks about screening of these people being very important, that you could hide drugs in a coffee cup. That may sound funny, but that is literally what happens. I'm not going to go into every single way that you can introduce contraband into a facility. I'm sure you can kind of figure it out on your own, but it starts with, it should start anyway, with the employees being searched as they're coming into work. Now, is that going to stop everything? No, but it's a start. And I bet you that that's not going on right now. In fact, I would almost guarantee it. I have an idea of usually what's going on over there. I won't go into it, but I have an idea of what still goes on over there. And I can safely say that not every employee is being checked. But at any rate, make sure the employees are getting checked on the way through. It shouldn't be a big deal at all. It's a correctional facility when it comes down to it. And if you're working there and you don't feel like you should be searched, well, tough shit. It's a correctional facility. It's not a daycare. It's not supposed to be a daycare anyway, but that's how it's ran sometimes, in my opinion. But uh, get over yourself. You're not that special. You're not some special person that gets to work there that you're immune to being searched and beyond reproach. You're an employee at a state correctional facility. You should be getting searched. How intrusive that search is, that that can be up for debate. But obviously something needs to change here or else you're going to keep getting this stuff happening here at this facility. Now, that's just one aspect. The other part to it is how well family or friends are getting searched when they come in for visitation. I would think that that would need to be the same or if not more intrusive of a search when they're coming in for visitation because it's not like they're behind glass or um, on the phone. Like they're sitting at a table around each other and you can't have eyeballs on every single person at once all at the same time. They just don't have the staffing for that. Um, nor could you, I don't think you could really get away with that. Now, if something was found later, could they go back and maybe look at some surveillance footage or whatever? Yeah, sure, you could. But that's after the fact. That's after they've already found the contraband. The whole point is to stop the contraband before it gets introduced. Whether that's limiting what they bring in more or whatever else they need to do, something needs to change there as well. Now, the third part of that is their, the chain of custody. Now, I'm sure they're working on it. I'm sure that's already been talked about or changes have been made there. But as a someone who's done, uh, has been a custodian of evidence before for an agency, it, it amazes me that they found things the way they were. But again, that wasn't necessarily their job there at Green Hill. 
And that's kind of the whole point. <laughs> they shouldn't have had all of this contraband in a freaking laundry room since 2017. It's amazing. Anyway, that's my rant on Greenhill uh, as far as the evidence is concerned. Uh, staff assaults. Holy Lord. Uh, you don't hear about all the staff assaults that happen there. There are fights that happen there all the time, whether it's between residents or resident on staff happens all the time part of the problem now this they weren't up to 25 years old i don't believe when i used to work there but there was a piece of law that went through that extended the age from whatever i believe was 21 when i used to work there now it's 25 so that opens up a whole new set of problems you're talking about having males at 21 years old who should then be going to a doc facility somewhere in the state instead you have them staying there until potentially they're 25 and they're still being housed with you know 17 year olds um, that's an issue and i could go on all day about and we could talk about all those different issues just right there but i think a good starting point would be to roll that back and either drop it back down to 21 or 18 uh, but something needs to change you can't have if it's if it's a facility a correctional facility ran by the department of children youth and families and you you have 25 year olds in there it doesn't make much sense to me so at any rate that's my rant on green hill hopefully things change there uh, those kids you know need the guidance and there's a lot of good things that happen there they, they get schooling there are some really awesome people that work there, being the teachers, the staff, uh, the administrators. I mean, there are a lot of good people, but like any other profession, you have bad apples. You have the same problems at that institution that you do at any DOC facility. You have people trying to introduce contraband, whether it's family, friends, or staff. That's that's going to happen, but the the lack of discipline if you will when it comes to following policies and procedures or not even having them in the place in the uh, to begin with uh, that's kind of the problem and they need to work on that so anyway that's my opinion on it so moving on from that uh, real quick um, my thoughts go out to uh, the washington state patrol trooper that was struck by gunfire last night the 16th uh, this is up in Kent. Uh, apparently what happened, according to news release and some other stuff I'm reading here, a trooper attempted to make a traffic stop when the vehicle fled. Um, there was a pursuit which led to the suspect crashing into another vehicle. Uh, the suspect apparently uh, began fleeing on foot and began firing upon the trooper, striking the trooper in the leg. Um, apparently there was a search for the suspect uh, for a while. They ended up finding the suspect, taking that person into custody. Uh, troopers transported uh, to the hospital, non-life-threatening injuries. Uh, so thankfully, um, you know, it wasn't any worse. And wishing that trooper a speedy recovery. In other news, uh, the state Senate approves a bill to fully fund law enforcement training. Uh, the Washington State Senate has unanimously passed legislation that would fully fund the training costs for law enforcement officers. Uh, Senate Bill 6242 would increase the portion of funding the state provides for law enforcement training from 75% to 100%. So what that means is if you're not a lateral, you're entry level, you sign papers for, uh, let's say, uh, some municipality or uh, sheriff's office. You have to be sent to 
CJTC, the Criminal Justice Training Commission, uh, either in Burien or Spokane, depending on what side of the state you are in, or um, what the class uh, looks like as far as how many classes they're running at the time. At any rate, there's there was 25%-ish uh, that had to be paid for by the agency that is hiring you. Uh, I think it's awesome that the state's stepping up, or at least um, hopefully um, the bill goes through, that the state picks up that training tab. Uh, they are the ones that run uh, CJTC. Uh, that is not ran by any one individual uh, agency. Um, so the fact that um, they're trying to get that bumped up to 100% paid for, that's awesome because what can happen is, what I've seen anyway, is you have smaller agencies that uh, that can be pretty tough. You know, they have a tight budget. I'm not saying that larger agencies don't, but in particular, these smaller agencies, they have a tight budget. So if they send someone as an entry level to CJTC, they're out X amount of money out the door already. Uh, according to this article, um, it costs just under, according to this committee testimony anyway, in this article, uh, five grand to send a recruit to training. Now that may be more or less depending on, you know, what's going on. But, um, so let's just take that number 5,000. Well, if, you know, a, a small town, a small agency has a budget for X amount of dollars, uh, that five grand can make or break whether or not they're able to hire someone if you fail out or not. Um, what some agencies had done that I had seen was, um, now whether or not this would get paid back, ultimately, I don't know, but um, there were clauses that were put into some of these contracts where if you failed to um, complete uh, your entry-level training at CJTC, or let's say you get through CJTC, you come back, you're on probation for a year, you know, after you pass, uh, you get through FTO, and then you're on, you're still on your year probation. If you failed out of FTO or failed probation, uh, there were some clauses that were being put in where you would have to pay back X amount of the money that the agency had to front to get you into CJTC. I think with this bill, uh, Senate Bill 6242, um, when it gets to um, the House of Representatives, I hope this gets passed because that would just alleviate so many um, problems that I had seen anyway. and It just caused so much drama, <laughs> lack of a better term. Um, you know, maybe you had someone who, you know, got hired, they went through FTO, and they're doing really well in probation. But let's say something came up with the family and, you know, the spouse has to move either out of the county or to another state. Well, that's not necessarily their fault for doing anything wrong. Uh, they're doing what they need to do or they've been doing what they need to do for work. They're not getting in trouble for anything. It's just, you know, life happens and they need to move. Well, some agencies um, can be sticklers and still try and make that particular recruit pay back X amount of the money that they fronted for CGTC. At any rate, I'm really glad that you know, this potentially is going through and I think it will help out those smaller agencies quite a bit. Now here's a little bit more lighthearted uh, news. <laughs> a man steals truck full of Corvettes to get home after prison release. 
this is in Cochise County in Arizona. So a man stole a semi-truck hauling high-end sports cars in order to get home from prison. A deputy pulled over a tractor trailer carrying 10 Chevrolet C8 Corvettes valued at over $1,250,000 on February 15th, so this week. Uh, the driver from Oklahoma had stolen the truck and upon questioning told the officers that he had done so only because he had just gotten out of prison and needed a means of transportation home. But apparently there was more to the story. Uh, the man had assaulted the rightful driver of the vehicle shortly before seen driving it. Okay, well, can't do that. Uh, a 23-year-old suspect had struck up a conversation with a driver at a truck stop about 85 miles east of Tucson. The victim told authorities the suspect had asked him about his expensive truckload and lured him into, and they have it quoted here, a sense of security, unquote. Anyway, uh, it says deputy caught up with the vehicle. Uh, pursuit began, uh, but he eventually stopped. So, I mean, that's good. He doesn't have to pay for... $1,250,000 worth of uh, Corvettes. So, I mean, that's a plus, I guess. But I'm sure that's a felony, and he's probably going back to prison. So good luck with that. So this is the point in the show where I wanted to highlight uh, the officers who died in line of duty this week. So for 2024, the total line of duty deaths is 16. That's a 6% decrease as compared to 2023. So for the year, there have been... Uh, eight that have involved automobiles, which is actually compared to this time last year is a 300% increase. Uh, four have died by gunfire. It's actually a 33% decrease uh, from this time last year. Uh, two have died of medical issues, and then two were listed as other causes. So uh, there have been three this week, and I'm counting Sunday to well, this week, Saturday, so February 11th through uh, the 17th. And the three we're going to talk about uh, occurred February 11th, February 13th, and February 14th. So the first one we're going to talk about real quick here is Patrol Officer Jonah Hernandez with the Las Cruces Police Department in New Mexico. End of watch was Sunday, February 11th, 2024. Um, according to Officer Down Memorial page, uh, Patrol Officer Jonah Hernandez was stabbed to death while responding to a trespassing call in the 300 block of South Valley Drive in Las Cruces. A witness to the stabbing shot the suspect and then used Officer Hernandez's radio for help. Officer Hernandez was transported to Mountain View Regional Medical Center where he died from his wounds. Uh, the subject had a long criminal record and mental illness. Officer Hernandez had served with the Las Cruces Police Department for two years. He was survived by his wife and two sons. Next is Sergeant Nevada Krenke with the Sheridan Police Department of Wyoming. His end of watch was Tuesday, February 13, 2024. Uh, Sergeant Krenke was shot and killed while serving a trespass warning near 5th Street and Valvista Street in Sheridan. Sergeant Krenke was transported to Sheridan Memorial Hospital where he succumbed to his wounds. The subject, who had a lengthy criminal record, fled and barricaded himself inside a residence. After a 30-hour standoff, the subject refused to surrender, attempted to flee, and was shot and killed. Uh, Sergeant Krenke was a United States Army veteran and had served with the Sheridan Police Department for over six years. He is survived by his wife, who also served with the Sheridan Police Department, and a daughter. And finally, we have Deputy Sheriff Robert J. Lennard of the Meigs 
County Sheriff's Office in Tennessee, I hope I'm saying that right. His end of watch was Wednesday, February 14th, 2024. Deputy Sheriff R.J. Leonard died in a single vehicle crash into the Tennessee River off of a ferry boat ramp in Birchwood. Deputy Leonard was at home when he took the call relating to a disturbance near the Highway 60 Bridge in Birchwood. He arrived at the scene about 9.48 p.m. and at 10.15 p.m. radioed that he had arrested a female subject and was transporting her uh, to the county jail. A few moments later, dispatchers received an unclear transmission where Deputy Leonard mentioned water. The area is remote and rural, and it is difficult for cell phone signals and other radio traffic to get through. When he failed to respond to a status check, a search began. The next day, his patrol car was found upside down in the water with the female subject in the back. His window was rolled down, and he was not in the vehicle. His body was recovered at 6.30 p.m. on February 15, 2024. Deputy Leonard had served with the Meeks County Sheriff's Office for two months. He is survived by his wife and three children. So with that, I'll end with this. I talk a lot about law enforcement-related things on the podcast. That's kind of the direction I wanted to go, but this kind of goes towards, uh, what am I going to say, is kind of goes towards any first responder. It doesn't matter if it's a firefighter, nurse, uh, paramedic, EMT, uh, dispatcher, whatever you want to, whatever name, uh, label you want to put on it. Uh, People who are out there um, on the front lines or dealing with the public on a day-to-day basis when it comes to um, calls for service, when it comes to when someone's life is on the line or there's an emergency. Um, This is really for the people who are in it every day. And that is, if you see a first responder, if you're talking to an EMT or you know a nurse or a dispatcher or firefighter, cop, whoever, just tell them thank you. I know the summit sounds really cheesy, um, but you have no idea what they had just got through with at work. You know, if you're out and about, for instance, and you see a police officer, you know, you're at the store or whatever, just walk up and say thank you. It doesn't cost you anything. You're not going to be stupid for doing it. That cop may have just cleared a suicide. Maybe they were there for five hours, and now they're stopping by the store, and all you see is them getting a candy bar or a coffee or whatever it is, and there's a lot going through their head at that point. And when someone comes up and just says thank you, even it's just thank you or I'm praying for you and walking away, they will remember that. So I'll just leave that one there. (laughs) Um, It's a tough world out there. It's a tough profession to be in right now. There's going to be, unfortunately, no shortage of news to talk about every week. That's just the world we live in. But my hope is to spread a little bit more awareness about what's going on in our local area, touch on a couple national things, and just keep informed, and most importantly, being safe out there. That goes towards any of my cop friends or any other police officer who listens to this podcast. I'm not an expert on anything. I'm just a guy with a little bit of knowledge and experience in the field who's just bringing some things to light every week that I hope we can all learn from and make ourselves safe day in and day out while you're out there. That's really what the point is for the public to be informed and for those working on the streets to maybe glean a little bit more information and learn something to help them improve in their career 
and get home at the end of the day. That's what it's about. So with that, go ahead and check out my Patreon. Uh, Patreon is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com. Search for Beyond the Badge Unfiltered Plus. I'll try and get that in the description. So I'm having some issues trying to get this into Apple Podcasts for some reason. I know it showed up on Spotify, uh, the trailer anyway. Uh, Patreon, what, what is that? Well, it's an area where I can put in some uh, live Q&A sessions. Uh, I can do that through there. Uh, behind-the-scenes stuff, some links to articles, other things, uh, get you kind of more of a background in some of the stories that I've talked about. That's five bucks a month. That's the only tier right there. Um, that gets you that behind-the-scenes stuff. You can also see how many times, because um, I'm going to video it, um, how many times I have to cut this podcast up and edit. It is horrendous, but uh, it might be funny to watch. Anyway, that will be part of the membership as well. I'll be adding some of that stuff here for this episode. Otherwise, spread the word, and you guys have a great week. I hope you guys enjoy the interview on Monday, and be safe out there. Catch you guys next time.